Well, Wendy is going to lead us in our scripture reading today. As she's coming forward, if you are uh, wanting to follow along in your Bible, if you brought your Bible with you today, uh, you can open that to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 35, um, or you can follow along on the screen in front of you, if you'd like. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, Find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Wendy. Other people, other people make both life worth living. I wonder if you agree with that. They make life worth with living and also make life at times incredibly challenging. (laughs) Other people bring strength and meaning and purpose to our lives through the quality of relationships that we have and also they can really add great stress to our hearts and lives when those relationships are unsettled. When those relationships that are most important to us are off in life, it can be very distressing, causing all kinds of anxiety and worry and uh, just maybe competition even between uh, you and the other person. I wonder, who is that person in your life or group of people right now whom you feel like you're concerned about? Their meaning and purpose or the values that they live by. You're just kind of concerned about how they're living. And sometimes when you think about those things or when you're around those people, it causes stress for you in your heart 
or in your life. Maybe even right now as you're thinking about those people or that group of people or that family, it's already causing you kind of some tension in your heart. Maybe you're getting a little bit fuzzy. Maybe anger is coming forward. See, most people, I'm, best, I'm guessing that you can think of somebody because most people have someone or a group that they're concerned about, about their values, about their attitudes, about their behaviors in life. It might be your child. It might be a partner or a spouse. It might be a friend, an old friend or a new friend. It could be a coworker or a boss, a family member. I'm guessing that some are concerned about the other political party, about a church or our church, or maybe your pastor or the school or something that's happening within the school. Who is that person for you? Just keep that in mind. And then I want to ask you as we start today, what would you say or, or think if I did this? If I said when you think of that person or if you're in a tense spot with that person or you can't stop thinking about that person in the middle of the night or something, this is what you should do and it's going to help. You ready for it? Just do this. That's <laughs> not funny. Stop laughing. <laughs> just do this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can laugh. <laughs> What would you think of that? It doesn't make any sense to us, right? That's what you call a dead metaphor. That's a metaphor for something that we can't understand anymore because we don't do that. But this is exactly what Jesus told His disciples to do. The 12 disciples that He was sending out, this is what He told them to do as, he, as they went out to share the Gospel through words and actions with the people that He was sending them to. And He says specifically to do this if they didn't, if those people didn't welcome them, if they weren't worthy, we'll talk more about that later, or if they didn't listen to their words. He says, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or town. If they're not listening to you, if they're not uh, receiving these values and these truths that you're trying to share, this action of shaking the dust off was at the time a symbolic action of breaking off the association. See, they didn't have concrete and paved roads and nice shoes and all those things. A lot of people wore sandals and it was dusty. So it made sense. You shake the dust off your feet and you tell those people you are responsible for yourself, for your own choices and actions. Now, I don't know about you, but this text leaves me feeling a little bit unsettled. Is Jesus implicitly telling us to reject people or to isolate ourselves from non-believers, or to be confrontational to other people who are closed off or unwelcoming? Is that what he's saying? Because if that's what Jesus is saying, that's concerning to me. Because I remember other times in, in Scripture when Jesus says, gives a different message. See, up to this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been healing people. Associating with people who are typically rejected by society, even sitting at the dinner table with them, which was scandalous for the time. He was teaching and he was gaining disciples as he went along his way. And he teaches powerful and challenging ideas like these simple things that we remember but are so hard to live out. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Give to anyone who asks. Don't judge others. Don't worry about your life. All pretty straightforward, right? But how hard are they to actually live out? 
He also goes on to say things like, where your treasure is, your heart is. And he says, no one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the the other. He says, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and wealth. Interesting. He's talking about serving two masters, and Jesus knows that the most the most tempting master for us to serve is our wealth, our money. And really what he's getting at, the word that he uses is the word mammon, which is talking about our ability, our capacity to do whatever we want, whenever we want it. And specifically, money helps us to grow in our ability to get whatever we want without having to rely upon the other person in relationship. (laughs) Wow. The only other comparison we have to a shake the dust off is maybe a mic drop moment, and this is a mic drop if there is one in the Bible. Jesus is saying that desire that is happening within you to do and say it, whatever you want to do and not have to rely upon anybody, which is so prevalent in our time today, Jesus is saying you can't follow that desire and love God. You just can't do it. You're going to tear yourself apart. So, At this point, Jesus is sending out the disciples who are committed to serving God, to serving Jesus. That's their purpose. He sends them out to do God's work. Let me read this to you again. This is what Jesus says is their purpose as His disciples. Jesus says, As you go, proclaim the good news so words are involved. Share the good news. Say that the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the good news. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. No bag for your journey, no tunics or sandals or or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is your purpose. This is why I've called you to me is so that you could live out this purpose. And he's telling them, go out and trust God in this journey. Take nothing with you. Trust that God will provide what you need to live for God in this way. It's not up to you. It's not up to me for the results. It's up to me to be faithful, to do what God asks of me, and to give with my whole heart, and to trust God for the outcome. And then, this is probably the most important part. Jesus says, expect you should expect that not everyone is going to welcome you. You should expect that. You should expect that not everyone is going to welcome you or listen to you or understand or want to understand. Isn't that sometimes the most frustrating part? Is when people don't even want to listen. They don't even want to try to wrap their head around what it is that you're trying to convey with a posture of of love. And we can't change that in another person. Jesus says, when that happens, this is how you detach. And this was a symbolic action, not just for the other person, but I think for the disciples as well. Shake the dust off your feet. Just detach from that person. Detach from that home. Keep your focus on who you are and what your purpose is. And move on. Just remember who you are. Remember what your purpose is. Remember what you're about, what I've taught you. And move on. 
It's important to remember that Jesus' earlier teaching example was about loving people. We have to remember this because when Jesus is saying move on, he's not saying, okay, start hating that person or, you know, let's, you know, Kyle, let's me and you, we're, we're in the right camp and everybody else is wrong and now we've done what we're supposed to do. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is, is, has given an example of loving people and, and continuing to reach out to them and speak truth. And the reason that he sent his disciples in the first place, we'll go back to this text. If you have your Bible open, you can look at this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, when he saw the people that he knew were lost, he what? He had compassion for them. He had compassion in his heart. And and Jesus so often acted on the compassion that he felt within his heart. He had that value of, of, I have compassion for the people and I'm going to act in whatever way is best for those people. Out of a posture of love. Yes, truth. But also love. So, Jesus is not encouraging combative or rude or isolating behavior. Instead, Jesus knows that it is hard for us. It's hard for us when people don't value what we value. Is that hard for you? It's hard for me. It's hard for most people. It's hard when people don't value what we value or understand our purpose as disciples. They have a framework in their mind of what is right, of what should be done, or what a group of people should do. Boy, it happens a lot within the church. This is what's right. And you guys, you're doing it wrong. And it's hard for us when we feel so passionately about that or, or this way of living or these values, but the other people don't. Jesus knows that. And so He says, share the good news. Word and deed. Know what the good news is in your heart. So that's reading the Word. Internalizing it and living it out. Not always with words, but in a way where others can, can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. They can sense that God is working in you. And they can tell by your actions that the things that you're doing are not things that most people would do in an individualized world. In a consumer-driven world. That person is giving of themselves. They're doing things that aren't all about just getting ahead in life or getting the upper hand or winning. They're serving others. They're loving others. Friends, in life, it is too easy to lose focus on who or what we're living for and to try to please other people rather than to please God or to expect comfort and ease as God's people to just say, well, what God should give me most is comfort and ease and that I should be liked and understood rather than seek to understand and serve the Lord. Remember what Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. No one. No one can serve God and the master of money or the master of stuff or the master of other people or the master of individualism. No one can do that. I, I want to believe Jesus. I, I know that I can't. And it's up to you if you want to believe Jesus at His Word or not. But what happens when we try to serve other masters and God 
we get sucked into the fear and anxiety and the stress of trying to, to give our hearts to God and then to give our hearts fully to someone or something else. We just get swirled around in fear and anxiety. And oftentimes we try to protect what it is we're afraid of losing. And then we can't actually have compassion on anyone, not even ourselves. That's what happens when we try to serve two masters. So as God's people, we have to determine that ultimately what we want is to serve God. We have to determine that. To trust Him for what we need. To find purpose, meaning, and acceptance from Jesus. That means making a choice to live and let live. To not feel overly responsible for the thoughts, attitudes, or behaviors of other people. And we make our choice. We make the choice. I can't make that choice for you, can I? I can say that this is maybe a good way to live. This is how God would like you to live. Commands you to live. Invites you to live. Whatever. But you have to make the choice to give your heart to God and then detach from the outcomes of what other people do, of what other people choose. So Joshua in the Old Testament, I just love this text. I'm guessing that you've heard it at some point. Joshua has led the people into the promised land and they've really settled in. This is after the Israelites wander through the wilderness for 40 years and Joshua gets the privilege of leading them into the promised land. Moses didn't get to go in. He died before they got in there. And Joshua is at the end of his life. He's about to die and he is encouraging the people to, uh, to recommit to God. He's saying, let's, let's make a new covenant with God saying we're going to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as you uh, once asked us to do. So Joshua says in uh, chapter 24 of this book, verse 14, Now therefore revere the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt. That sounds like he's saying you can't serve two masters. Doesn't it sound like that? And this day serve the Lord. Now if you're unwilling to serve the Lord, just say it. I'm adding those words. Just say it. Choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, in my household, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. As God's people, friends, it is up to us to grow closer to Jesus. To learn about ourselves, our values, our purpose. The types of things we've been talking about for the last six weeks or so is really get, gaining clarity about who we are, about our values, about our purpose, about our spiritual gifts, our skills, and what we're willing to give and what we can give. To learn about what God asks of us and what He'll do for us in this life. And as we gain clarity, we grow in confidence and in courage and then we can detach from the choices of others or detach from the anxiety generated by them, by the choices of other people. I like this quote by Edwin Friedman. He's a, a psychologist who talks about self-differentiation, which is kind of what we're talking about. is understanding who you are and separating out from the anxiety and the fear and the worry that is ruling our time. He says someone, someone who can self-differentiate is someone who has clarity about their life goals and someone who is less likely to become lost in the anxious emotional processes swirling about us. 
someone who can separate while still remaining connected and therefore can maintain a modifying, non-anxious, and sometimes challenging presence. Someone who can manage their own reactivity to the automatic reactivity of others and therefore be able to take stands at the risk of displeasing. Wow. Friends, I wonder... If somebody came up to you today and said, uh, you know, I'm struggling, and young people today are really struggling with this. Who am I? What's the meaning of life? And what's my purpose in life? Now, if someone came to you and asked you in all sincerity and openness, which does not happen very often, but let's say that that miracle happens in your life, and they're saying, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, uh, uh, Auntie, you know, whatever... Friend, can you tell me as a Christian, what is the purpose of my life? Can you tell me as a Christian, what are your fundamental values? What are the three or four values that you just will, will live out with unwavering trust, knowing that God is working in your life? What would you say? probably the most important things we can think about, right? So why wouldn't we? It's because we get sucked into what are other people doing? What are other, what are other groups of people doing? What are our kids doing or not doing? Instead of thinking about what, what we're doing. How are we living out our values? How are we giving our hearts to Jesus? And you know what Jesus talks about in other portions of Scripture is that when you give your heart fully to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is living within you and guiding your choices in life that you will have a compelling presence that people will be drawn to you they'll see what's happening within you how you're living your choices and they'll say there is something happening in that person and if we get to that place which is a journey all in its own then we need to detach from the choices of other people. And this might be the, the first step for you so that you can start to think about yourself rather than other people. The principle of detachment. Know who you are. Know what you value. Know what your purpose is. Don't expect other people to approve or understand. And when they aren't open or honest, willing, vulnerable, then detach from that person or that group of people with love. The word that Jesus uses is worthy. He's not talking about, is that person worthy of being loved? He's not talking about that. What he's really talking about is, is he, are they worthy of your time? Are they open? Are they receptive? Are they, are they willing to be vulnerable and to actually listen? If they're not, there's nothing that you can do to change that. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't care. It doesn't mean that we're letting... It, what it does mean is we're letting them be responsible for themselves and surrendering them to God's care and staying committed to God for ourselves. In recovery, we talk about this principle of detach with love. It doesn't mean that we're hostile. It doesn't mean that we're totally disconnected, that we isolate, that we cut off because there's a, there's a cost to that choice as well. It means that we are not being overly responsible for other people and the choices that they make. This was a lesson that I learned uh, from a Catholic priest who teaches about 
spirituality and recovery principles. And, and these, are, these are universal. These are not just for recovery, but these are, these are three things that we can't change. We'll see if you agree with this. We can't change the past. How much time do we spend uh, regretting things that we've done wrong or that we would like to change or that somebody else did to us and resentments grow in our heart in that space? We can't change the past. We can't, as much as we would like to, especially in our time, we can't change the truth. We can't change the truth. We can argue about the truth. We can try to discern what the truth is, but we can't change it. God sets the standards for what truth is. And the last one is maybe the most important. We can't change another person. We just can't change another person. Those are three things we can't change. And when I heard this, he said, well, that pretty much clears up the whole day. (laughs) Because how much time and energy do we put into trying to change those things? The past, the truth, or other people? And instead, here are three things that you can change. So what would it be like to pour in all of your energy and all of your worry, all of your concern into changing these things? Your thoughts. Your attitudes. And your behaviors. Those are three things that you can change. So here's some questions to help you sort out your heart from the other person. I'd like you to recall that person. Maybe, hopefully you had somebody or a group of people. Surely in today's age you could think of someone that when you think about their choices and their values and their behavior, it really just kind of starts to bug you. Who is that person in your life that you excessively worry about? What are you responsible for with that person? What is it that you are responsible for specifically? Have you done those things? What is it that you're doing now that you aren't responsible for? Trying to change their behavior. Trying to change their mind. Trying to change their choices in life. Trying to get them to own their responsibility. What would it be like if you could envision that person and if you could place that person into the hands of God and feel the love of God just surrounding you and saying, it's okay. I've got them. That's not your responsibility to fix them or to change them. Guess what? It's not your responsibility to stay up at night worrying about them. That's not your job. What would that be like to trust that God has them and that they are responsible for their choices in life? My encouragement to you would be to write about this person. Write out everything that you can think of. Everything that bothers you about their choices and their values. And then say, what can I do? Write that out. And also write out, what do I need to let go of? Specifically. Maybe that framework can help you of their thoughts, their attitudes, or their behaviors. Now friends, today I want to be crystal clear that these texts are specifically that we read today 
are specifically talking about living our lives for God in a way that communicates the good news about Jesus through word and action. And then surrendering the outcome of that uh, lifestyle to God. Looking for people who are open, vulnerable, who are willing to listen or worthy. And then surrendering the outcome or detaching the outcome to God. Is that my time's up? Beeper? (laughs) That's something I've been surrendering to God. The outcome of the alarm situation for the last 10 days. It's not my it's not my deal. Friends, taking too mu- taking on too much responsibility for other people generates confusion and anxiety in us. Worry and fear, frustration, avoidance or a passive faith or people pleasing. Instead of that trap, we can choose to detach with love, to surrender these pre- there's persons uh, and outcomes of their lives to God, still loving them, still open still praying. That's what God asks us to do. Friends, know who you are. Know your purpose, your values, and whom you serve. No one can serve two masters. So choose this day whom you will will serve or seek to please and leave the rest to God. Amen. Let's take this 30 seconds or so and just think a little bit more about who that person is or that group of people in your life or family member or coworker or boss or whatever. And let's just take this time to, to envision placing them in the hands of God and allow God to reveal to us what it is that we can change in our lives. Heavenly Father, You made us for relationship. And so You know that uh, we can't live without people. But yet, people, their choices and attitudes and behaviors are what can uh, cause so much stress and anxiety within our hearts. It causes so much conflict when we disagree and struggle to find a way forward and we struggle to communicate and to listen and to have compassion. So God, we pray today that you would help us to begin to sort through what we need to let go of and what we can really own for ourselves so that we could commit fully, Jesus, to following you, to learning more and more about ourselves and about you, to living out our values as your disciples in a way that other people can hear and see and feel and letting go of the rest. So Jesus, we uh, ask you for this discernment and wisdom and we pray now together.